DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hello and welcome to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. What a weekend it was for Michael Carrick's Borough as they put four past Sunderland. Here they are looking for a fourth. That's a lad with a shot, good save. The rebound from Fours, and it is four. And it's Marcus Fours who adds it for Middlesbrough. The route is complete against the ten men of Sunderland. Ipswich's victory over Preston takes them eight points clear of third in the table as Kieran McKenna's side begin to dream. It's not really um, hard for me to keep the players' feet on the floor. It's not hard for me to keep the feet on the floor of everyone inside the club. But the supporters who were here watching us and giving us a well wishes, you know, we want them to really love this moment. And despite Watford's struggles sitting 20th in the table, the club extended Valerian Ishmael's contract. You want to build something, you need stability. Why the stability is important? To give the player security, trust in the club. We'll also be discussing the big managerial news with Disco Munoz leaving Sheffield Wednesday, John Eustace out of the door at Birmingham City and all the big talking points from Leagues 1 and 2, big results, loads of goals, even more to discuss with the former Luton Town and Ipswich striker Sam Park and you're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Sam Parkin. Hello, mate. How you doing? Really well, mate. Good to see you. Oh, nice to see you too. How, how nice of you. How nice of you. You've been <laughs> enjoying the football at the moment. The the weekend's games, um, another weekend where I think we got we got a fair amount of goals. Maybe not the big storylines we want, particularly in, in kind of League One. And it's sad to say, but it's kind of the managerial sackings now are kind of taking the headlines away from the football. And that's a, that's a sad thing for me to be to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to say I'm just relieved to be in a space where we don't have to talk about VAR, but <laughs> I suppose this is the next worst thing, isn't it, mm-hmm. about the the business currently, uh, the way the game's evolved and changed, that it's such a precarious position for managers across the EFL, probably more so than the Premier League. Maybe that's because of that desire to, to grow as clubs and the riches that are at... Um, you're disposed if you can get into the top division. So that's why, especially when you have these international breaks factored into the season pre-Christmas as well, owners, hierarchy get twitchy and we're seeing the product of that, aren't we, the last few weeks? Very, very strange. Uh, hard to get your head around some of the decisions that have been made. We're mm. going to start with maybe the biggest head scratcher. Um, Birmingham City parting company with their head coach, John Eustace, after 15 months in charge. They're sixth in the championship after their 3-1 derby win over West Bromwich Albion. They heard here live on TalkSport 2 last Friday night. The American-owned club now very strongly linked with the former England captain, Wayne Rooney, who left his role as the coach of MLS side DC United. But the club said whoever they appoint as a new boss, they will be encouraged to adopt a no-fear approach to their football. They say they want to create an identity, a clear no-fear playing style that all Birmingham City teams will adopt and embrace. So they're sending out a big message about what they want from their new boss and I guess maybe what they want from the club as a whole moving forward. Is that maybe why 
someone like Wayne Rooney would come in, some of the experience of being for a long time at a club, a huge club in the shape of Manchester United? I, I, I get it because of where we are, the, the, what I just tried to articulate, and I think we'll come on to some sackings lower down the, um, the, the football ladder later in the show, but I think there's similarities, that style of play, um, goals, creativity takes precedent sometimes and that I think it's incredibly unfair I mean I was quite angry when the news broke before the weekend that this was potentially going to happen because I know John Eustace quite well we spent a, a large amount of time together earlier on in our in our playing days and I got a lot of respect for him and I think Birmingham City as a watch have been a wretched watch over a number of years for their supporters, mm. for neutrals. I thought manager after manager got it wrong there. And here's a manager who, yes, with slightly better resources after the players that came in the attacking sense in the summer, has been getting it really right. Striking the right chord with the supporters. A stadium that was falling to pieces, that had you know, real beef with the, the people at the, the top of the club. Um, here's a local lad who's gone in there and actually started winning games of football and was only going to get better and has got good experience actually in coaching and management. So I feel the timing of this is is terrible. Um, but I get it because of what you said, glossy new ownership, mm. um, the, the idea to appoint someone that's a bigger name that potentially brings you better money through different means, through sponsorship and TV and radio, whatever it may be. Mm. I get it. And that's where we are. And it kind of funnels down to the decision that Gillingham have made in the last couple of days. But for John Eustace, back home, solid old boy, waited for that opportunity, the right opportunity in the championship. I, I think he was doing a, a brilliant job. Brilliant job. So leaves a bit of a sour taste, but that that's where football yeah, is. Yeah. For me, it's it's one of those where, you know, and I went to Birmingham City and I spoke to, to Tom mm. Wagner, who's, who makes all the right noises, mm. says all the right things, very, very polished character, as you might expect for someone who's achieved what he's achieved in, in business. But, you know, fans celebrating, saying we're on our way to the Premier League, that joy you can look at it two ways. You want to ride that joy. You, you want to ride that wave, sorry, as, as far as you can because you know, that positive energy goes onto the field and the players can thrive off that, and, and they did at times. But equally, for me, it can be too early because we've seen so many examples in football in this country, in other places around the world, of owners who promise the world and deliver very little. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen at Birmingham City, but this is the first major indication of who these people are in terms of how they view the game of football. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily fit with... Maybe fans in England, maybe fans of Birmingham City, right? And so they're maybe going to have to get used to being carried on a journey that at times might get uncomfortable for them. And it might be the right thing for Birmingham City, and these owners might turn out to be absolutely great. But on the surface of it, where we look at it now at face value, it doesn't seem like the right decision. Who knows what Rain, Wayne Rooney will deliver? But equally, you know, if they're going to take this approach throughout their time in charge of Birmingham City... You never know. You just never know. I'm not. I don't want to make a judgment call on it, but um, those that were celebrating possibly a little bit premature. Anyway, we're going to hear from a Birmingham City fan now. Let's get the view of our very own Talksport commentator and City fan, Blue Nose to the core, Ian Danter. Um, he gave us his take on Eustace leaving the club. Ian, we know, of course, you love Birmingham City, but 
from a professional perspective, I have to ask you first, what is your reaction to John Eustace's sacking? It all feels a bit weird, Hugh. That's the, the overriding emotion at the moment. Um, John's pointed celebration at Gary Gardner's free kick on Friday night in our commentary game against West Brom, I should have put more significance on that pointed celebration than I did at the time because I get the feeling that he knew at that point that he was on borrowed time as Birmingham manager and that wheels were in motion to change things. Uh, And it just feels off. It just feels really strange that we're here again. You know, when Rowett was jettisoned for Gianfranco Zola, slightly different boards, obviously, making their own decisions independent of one another. So you can't really draw immediate comparisons uh, between those two things. But just the atmosphere of supporters feels the same view as it did, what, uh, seven years ago, whatever it was, when that decision was made, which was a horrible decision because Zola ended up with, I think, the worst win percentage record of any post-war Birmingham manager. We don't want that again. And your reaction as a fan? Because I think it's slightly different. I, I totally agree with you. The confusion professionally when we did the commentary uh, on Friday night, we were saying, oh, maybe it's because of the links to Rangers. And he's saying, you know, this is my club. This is where I want to be. And he's sending a message to that box that I'm fully committed. Now we see things totally differently through different eyes. Confused professionally, I'm totally with you on that dance. But I, like I say, I'm not a Birmingham City fan. And, and, and what are your feelings as a supporter now to see the club make this change? Well, it's a gutsy decision, isn't it? Because uh, Shelby companies, you know, uh, Shelby Holdings Limited have not been in charge for very long with Tom Wagner and now Tom Brady. So this is their, their first appointment as a manager. So this is their first statement, uh, effectively. And quite often a new ownership always wants to make a change for their man. So it's clear that the next appointment, if it is indeed to be Wayne Rooney, is their man. Um, so there might have been some friction between themselves and John Eustace. That may come out in the wash. It may not. But um, it's, a, it's one hell of a, a step to take when Birmingham are, as they are, in the top six. Uh, usually managers are brought in when a team can't even win a corner. Now we're in a situation where Rooney's been brought in, where Eustace has been allowed to make his purchases with a bit of a budget, more than Birmingham have had in recent years, certainly. Um, And he's going to have to get people on side. I'm led to believe that he was very gregarious and easy to get on with uh, from playing staff at Derby County. So, you know, being the right sort of character to uh, manage players, I don't think is an issue. It's just a question of how these players are now coached. Yeah, I'd agree with you on on that one. And before we look to the future, I do just want to get a mention for John Eustace and the job that he has done. I think uh, last season was the best finish since 2016, was it, for Birmingham City? He, of course, helped stabilise the club through this rocky period when the takeover from Tom Wagner was happening. Um, How much credit does he deserve? A lot. I mean, there's no question that John Eustace helped to put smiles back on faces to a certain extent at Birmingham during his time in charge. It wasn't all sunshine and roses, you know, and it wasn't a top-half finish. Let's not get away from the fact that, you know, once again, 
Birmingham were in the lower reaches of the championship table, but there was never really any threat of, of a relegation scrap like there have been in previous years under previous managers. So he has that feather in his cap. And it seemed like the purchases he made over the summer with the budget he was given were you could make sense and make a case for all of those purchases that he made. So, you know, he's, he's clearly got a, a good perspective on what a team needs to do to improve and, and, and get better. So wherever he goes next, I think he'll do an excellent job. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that one. And if if it is Rangers, I mean, there are links there, but if it is Rangers up in Scotland, c- could he handle a job of that size? Well, with, 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 with Rangers, their last appointment was a manager who'd done well in the championship but ultimately failed, and that's Michael Beale. So would they go down the same route again, Rangers, and appoint uh, a former championship manager, or do they look elsewhere? Um, I think John would do well anywhere that he went. Rangers is its very own goldfish bowl, of course, as a club. So you've got to be a very strong character to deal with all the noises off that you get at a club of that size. But he struck me during his time at Birmingham as a man who was very focused on the job at hand. And that's what every good manager is able to do, regardless of where they are. And looking ahead finally to the next steps for Birmingham City, uh, reports today that they have approached Wayne Rooney, who you mentioned. Uh, looks very likely after leaving DC United that he'll become the new manager. You know, it's a big name. I don't necessarily know that he has the huge credentials, despite the job that he did at Derby County and the positives that um, I guess many think that he he built up over a difficult period there. But, um, you know, it's it's not Pep Guardiola. It's not someone that we've seen win the championship before, for example, like Daniel Farker going to Leeds. So so where do you kind of rank that appointment for Birmingham City? Well, when, when he was at Derby, he inherited a club that was a, a, a total mess off the pitch. Uh, kept them up. That I was there that day when it was between them and Sheffield Wednesday as to who was going to get relegated. And the 3-3 draw kept Derby up that day at Pride Park. Um, they had a you know a huge point deduction. Uh, I would have finished in mid-table had it not been for the points deduction. I think. Um, I don't know. Hugh is is the honest answer to that question. I don't know what to expect. His record at DC United is not hugely impressive, but from what I'm led to believe, DC United are one of the have-nots of MLS football. So. He's got to hit the ground running. That's that's the, the, the you know the, the long and the short of it. Because whilst Birmingham are in this position, he's got to find form and uh, this no fear football that the board have outlined in their statement today. He's got to find that formula straight away to keep Birmingham competitive. And it's a very tough run of fixtures that Birmingham have got coming up after the international break. So he's not going to be eased into the job if it is indeed going to be him. Um, he's going to have a lot of severe tests of his coaching ability very early on. So let's see what the next couple of months brings. Because as I say, when Zola came in for Rowett, he won two games out of 24, I think, Hugh. And we ended up in a relegation scrap, having been just outside the playoffs when he took over. So nobody wants that sort of deja vu happening again. Our thanks to Ian Danter for joining us a little bit earlier on. So... We shall see uh, what the future holds for Birmingham City. I think, 
you know, <laughs> given Tom Brady and the amount of media attention that the club got when he came to visit, I think there'll be plenty of people in the room asking questions of Wayne Rooney as and when it looks likely he is appointed as Birmingham City boss. So we shall see what Wayne Rooney can deliver uh, at Birmingham City in the Championship. There's going to be a new manager too at Sheffield Wednesday very soon. Uh, that's because they sacked their boss, Disco Munoz, after he failed to win any of his 10 championship games in charge. He came uh, to Hillsborough to replace Darren Moore in June uh, after Moore had, of course, led them to promotion from League One. But he only got two points, Munoz, as the Owls manager. It was their worst ever start to the season. Um, his final game in charge, the 1-0 defeat at West Brom last Tuesday. Tuesday. And, and Dave Fonchanciri saying... He wouldn't put any more money into the club, as we spoke about last week. He was unhappy at the treatment towards him and his family from some fans. This weekend, Neil Thompson was in interim charge as the Owls picked up a point, a nil-nil draw at home to Darren Moore and Huddersfield on his return to Hillsborough. What do you make of Munoz's sacking? Was it inevitable, Sam? I think so. Yeah, there was, um, th- there was a period where they were able to get some points, able to rally. There was a narrow defeat against Ipswich. I think they got a draw against Leeds. Incredibly tough run of games. So I think he was probably given the benefit of the doubt during that run. Subsequently, they lost heavily at Swansea, the first of four victories that Michael Duss been able to put together. But Swansea were at a really low ebb. I, th- I think he was probably on reflection and to contradict myself after saying managers should get more time. And this is... Um, a product of where we are in football right now I think he was probably quite fortunate to see the last couple of weeks if I'm being honest in the Sheffield Wednesday job um, such as such has been the the non-start if mm. you like um, yeah just thinking back Darren Moore of course would have been so much better place to probably deal with a commotion off the pitch and focus refocus the players on the challenge in hand in the championship that calming influence and I thought it was interesting at the weekend that Neil Thompson obviously took the team. I think he's done it previously, but more or less went back to that side that got them the success in League One last season. And that's what it called for. You know, they're not going to be the success story of probably Plymouth Argyle this year. They're going to be nowhere near, obviously, what what Ipswich are becoming right now in the Championship. Sheffield Wednesday were always going to struggle, but with someone that could have brought that continuity up from League One, they'd have certainly made a better fist of it. So it's a mess. I'm not sure anybody probably gets a tune out of this this squad right now, but they can certainly be doing better than what they are currently. It's there's we've seen the names that are being linked in the last few days. Some real. Um, experienced championship managers and some left field appointments. Well, the strongest link is a novice manager in the shape of Danny Roll, uh, former Bayern Munich coach. Uh, He has worked in assistant positions at RB Leipzig, Southampton, Bayern Munich, uh, and with the German national team most recently as well. He he was under Ralf Hasenhutl Hasenhutl at Southampton. He also has worked with Champions League winning coach Hansi Flick. But he hasn't seen a club like Sheffield Wednesday, that's for sure. No, and it it feels like that type of appointment or someone who can just completely accept that there's a bit of commotion going on and just get on with the, the task in hand in motivating these players and organising. You know, I'm thinking about a battle-hardened championship manager here. You can insert your name here um, at home, but someone who's potentially seen the other side of the city, Neil Warnock, you know, someone like that, that can just get on with it and just not worry about that commotion or it's going to be something that completely takes us a little bit 
from left field like this type of appointment, um, which is a good opportunity at a great club, but it's a difficult time for yeah. anyone to go in there and they're going to need snookers soon because, you know, the creativity, the goal-scoring element in this side is sorely lacking. I think they could get clean sheets. I think they've shown that already this season and defensively can probably be organised, but going the other way, they're, they're miles off it right now. OK, we shall see what the future holds for Sheffield Wednesday as well. Hopefully by the next time we talk, uh, we will see appointments and we can discuss the futures uh, of Wednesday and Birmingham City in a little bit more detail. We're going to get to the football next. Yes, football, unbelievable from the weekend. Uh, you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport, made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access. Access on TalkSport 2. You're listening to EFL at All Access on TalkSport 2 with myself, Hugh Wizencroft, alongside the former Ipswich and Swindon striker Sam Parkin. And we're going to dive in about one of your former clubs, Sam, because I was at Portman Road at the weekend and I really enjoyed the experience, aside from the match itself, um, the fans were absolutely brilliant there. Um, got a quick chat with George Burley, Cloud9, the former Ipswich manager. Got completely custard-pied by Ed Sheeran, <laughs> who, who gave me two words. Um, but everyone there is energised. Everyone there is thinking about, a, a you know, pr- Premier League just rolls off the tongue. All of them are mm. thinking that's where they're going to be back. And, you know, one of the great things about being at Ipswich is there is a connection to great achievements at that football club. You go to different clubs up and down the country, you go to a Leeds United, you walk in there, for example, and you know it's a club that's done big things in the game and has won big things. There is a different feeling. And um, that that kind of feeling that their chests are now puffed out a little bit, Ipswich, I think is a really interesting one because it translates onto the pitch clearly. 4-2 victory over Preston North End. Every time I watch them play, I can't believe how easy it is for them to score goals. <laughs> and yet you can't always blame their opposition. It, it must be something about the way they play football because they are making it look easy right now. Yeah, and that's the, the hardest job. Always has been, always will be. To be slightly self-indulgent for a moment, when I signed for the club, and, and obviously it didn't go brilliantly for me, to, to put it lightly, that the reason I signed was because I had probably some similar teams of similar ilk at the, at the time in for me had the conversations with the club but as soon as I walked into that stadium it's a cliche but you can see and you can smell the history if, mm. if you like and Joe Royal was the manager at the time um, and obviously he had a good side prior to my arrival had Darren Bent and Jim McGill and some great players but the likes of George Burley are being spoken about in the last few days and weeks because that was probably the last exceptional team that Ipswich had and before that Bobby Robson and to hear the fans waxing lyrical about this current side in the championship this current guys under Kieran McKenna just accentuates what an amazing job he's doing and doing it in such a short space of time and I think there's a couple of things I looked at today I mean Last year, they completely dominated games in League One. You'd maybe anticipate that with the size of the club, the the, the crowd, the, um, uh, the the budget maybe, the calibre of player that they had. At the moment, 14th average possession in the league, top scorers, mm. most shots. I mean, we be- have become obsessed with keeping the ball at all costs here. Here is a team now that are built on fast, forward-paced, 
aggressive football and they probably give the ball away at times but the energy in the team and the fitness levels and the way that the players just seem to be enjoying it all these ingredients together that's what that's what style of play is that's what people fans want to pay their money to see to get off the edge of their seats and see the type of goals they're seeing at Portman Road at the moment and you know a lot of that has to be down to the manager has to be down to the manager because is that squad hugely better than some of the teams that they're going to be jostling at the top of the um, the table with? Probably not. He is getting the maximum out of every player and then the little tactical instructions, the, the set piece, for example, the other day, short corner from Leif Davis or shortish corner, mm. whipped in by Connor Chaplin, the old um, Darren Anderton to Teddy Sheringham, that's <laughs> similar rilk, but, yeah. you know, you add that tactical awareness as well to everything else. They've, they've got it all at the moment. Absolutely fantastic. It was great to be inside Portman Road. Ipswich's ninth win in 11 games this season. They're second in the table at this point in time, but they are now eight points clear of Preston in third. It possibly is turning into a two-horse race. Leicester City at the top. We'll talk about them in a moment. Uh, But Preston suffered a third defeat in eight days. Let's hear from the Ipswich Town manager, victorious, of course, Kieran McKenna. Uh, He wants his supporters to live in the moment, he says, even though they can enjoy the club's start to the season. You know, the supporters um, can believe and dream in in, uh, whatever they want to. They've earned a right over so many years, that's for sure. Um, They haven't had, you know, um, as many... You know, spells and periods to really enjoy in the last, you know, lot of years. So, um, yeah, we want them to enjoy this. Our focus internally just needs to stay the same. You know, the division is so tough, it's so tight. There's so many games we're having to play to our absolute maximum every week. Um, every game is hard fought, and we know there's a long road ahead. So, it's not really um, hard for me to keep the players' feet on the floor. It's not hard for me to keep the feet on the floor of everyone inside the club. But the supporters who are here watching us and giving us a well wishes, you know, we want them to really love this moment. Kieran McKenna there uh, after a 4-2 victory over Preston. Sam, by the way, Preston, 11 goals conceded in three games. It's been a tough week for them, losing 4-0 at home uh, to West Brom. They got beaten by Leicester in midweek and then this game against Ipswich. Was it just a, a tough week in terms of how the fixtures came out or is there a bigger problem possibly? I don't think there's a bigger problem. Maybe it just underlines the gap uh, between the yeah the real quality sides in that division and where Preston are right now, and that's not by any means doing them a disservice. That's just probably where they need to get to. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at the amount of goals they've conceded because yeah. I think there's a incredible stubbornness about Preston and North End. That's the understatement of the year. Looking at the you know, results last year when they just racked up clean sheet after clean sheet. I am a little bit surprised that they've just been kind of um, thrust aside in the last few games because I thought the squad was maybe the best that Ryan Lowe's had there. They've got players to come back. I think the Ben Whiteman goal the other day could be an important moment for him to give him the the belief after relatively long-term injury to get back playing. I think he's one of the best holding midfielders in the division. Emil Reese still to come back in and some other new signings still probably yet to fully acclimatise to the league. So... It's a test for him now. Millwall at home next up after the international break. But I think he was quick to point towards the points return, still sitting third. Mm. It's been a phenomenal start to the season for them. But the the manner of the defeats, the West Brom game was maybe a little bit of a, a freak, if you like, an off day, because mm. uh, West Brom haven't been at the races. But 
yeah, I expected them maybe to go a little bit closer against Leicester and Ipswich in the subsequent two. Now, Sam, I hate to mention events at Loftus Road this weekend, but I'm going to have to. Queen's Park Rangers nil, Blackburn four. Uh, Blackburn ending a run of four straight championship defeats emphatically. QPR have now taken just two points from their past six games. They remain in the bottom three. They've only one win in 20 league games at Loftus Road, stretching back to October of last year. Um what are your thoughts on where this team is under Gareth Ainsworth right now? Well, I think it's a combination of a squad that's not good enough probably for the for the level and uh, a manager who's not been able to impact things since he's he's come in enough. There was the result at Cardiff where the game plan seemed to alter quite drastically and whether they took Cardiff by surprise or the players just uh, adopted the game plan brilliantly. Uh, I'm not so sure now. I'm not so sure. Um, yeah, I think they're they're wildly undercooked in terms of the quality in that squad, um, especially with a few injuries, suspensions. Sam Field, I think, has been one of the better performers. His omission due to uh, yellow card accumulation, I think it was at the at the weekend, was alarming. What negative effect it had on the side. I think if you take Steve Cook out of there as well, his organisational skills, his experience, um, that got exposed. I thought John Dale Thomason's game plan um, was really good, exposed the QPR fullbacks, a number of the goals came from, from those areas, cutbacks and and so on. Um, so you would, you would look at it and you would think this is an ideal time for a new manager to have a go, especially because of those stats you just mentioned. I think it's now, the, the, it's the worst home um, sequence of results in over 100 years. I think it's 11 mm. games at home without a win. I mean, when you're doing that in front of your home supporters, uh, relevant of the era of football you're in, inevitably you're going to come in the, under the microscope and um, and sticks going to come your way. My quandary is, where do they go from here? Yeah, Where do they go when they haven't got the finances probably to, to A... Um, pay a, a coaching team off right now or they won't want to and, and, and where are they going to go to shop for the new head coach or, or new manager so that that's where I think there's other people need to take a large portion of the blame along with, with Gareth Ainsworth at the moment can I see it turning I don't think there's enough squad, quality in the squad to, to, to be quite frank to get them out of what's going to be a relegation battle and a really difficult one at that Okay, we'll have more on the championship next, including a big win for Middlesbrough over Sunderland. But you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport, made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside the former Swindon striker, Sam Parkin. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation about the championship and a big game at the Stadium of Light this weekend, which ended Sunderland nil, Middlesbrough 4. Uh, second half goals from Sam Greenwood, Matt Crooks, Isaiah Jones and Marcus Force made it four successive wins for Borough as they continue their recovery from that poor start to the season. Uh, in the weird tease derby but the turning point maybe came in the first half when Black Cats midfielder Dan Neal was sent off for a second yellow card offence for dissent 
to referee Jared Gillett. Um, let's hear what Tony Mowbray had to say about that decision. These are footballers, these are young guys, they, they're competing, they are trying to win football in local derby. Maybe the ref lost the context of the game, I don't know, and yet he seemed to have the context of the game in the manager's meeting at the start. But um, And then on the pitch, it's just a bit frustrating. I, I, I had no criticism of Dan Neal at all. Some referees, you can say what you want to, you can F and blind at them and they're F and blind back. And other referees, Mr... I don't know what he's called, Mr Gillett, is he Mr yeah. Gillett? Yeah. Obviously doesn't like people questioning his decisions, I think that's what it was. Interesting from Tony Mowbray there, because a lot of managers would kind of say, if you're on a yellow card, maybe don't walk up to the referee remonstrating, raising your voice, whether he used bad language or not, we don't know, but he's been booked for dissent, which is not an uncommon thing, and yet his manager defends him. Why, why do you think that is, Sam? It's difficult because there's no there's no black and white with it. I think that's the that's the problem, isn't it? Really, um, if there was a precedent for this type of thing, then maybe managers would find it easier to to accept. But we're in a place where it's it's the official's discretion, and he must have felt that the severity of what he said, or uh, maybe his, his manner, was was enough to warrant a yellow card. And we, you know that's his prerogative, really. The way we are currently in the game you know I'd be I think I've always said this since I come out I mean the way I used to speak to referees I don't look back on it and with with any kind of pride you know it's wrong the way that footballers speak to officials in in comparison to to rugby but until until the landscape changes and there's something official in place this will continue to happen I suppose so no it was foolish of the play you've got to say and um, and clearly the referee acted as he felt accordingly because, you know, he, he felt he overstepped the mark. In the end, it, it helped Middlesbrough towards what turned out to be a 4-0 victory. Mm. Maybe it wouldn't have been with 11 players on the pitch, but um, four straight wins in a row for them is massively important for Michael Carrick, who's turning the season around week by week. So is Michael Duff at Swansea because it's also four straight wins for them, this time a 3-1 victory away at Plymouth, um, just really important for them. They climb up to 12th in the season. Um, 13 points from five games after that abject display in the, uh, display in the South Wales derby, what was it, um, last month, kind of led to questions about Michael Duff's future and, and high, maybe over-the-top criticisms from some fans. They can now kind of keep, keep quiet, keep their counsel for a little bit. Yeah, and, and really pleased because I thought it was turning quite sour, quite quickly for, for, for Michael Duff and I, I did find it quite a surprising appointment considering his his previous styles um, of his sides that he'd managed at, at Cheltenham and, and Barnsley and we know the way that Swansea have tried to go about the, their business over the last decade or so and it's normally been you know really intricate stuff obviously playing out from the back and that's not necessarily been Michael Duff's style and He's had great success playing kind of his 3-5-2 um, at those two clubs I mentioned. So um, to go away from that, I think shown enormous bravery and and flexibility under enormous pressure in the last few weeks. And he, he's gone to uh, kind of back four, four two three one. And when I look at the profile of the players that he, he's got in, in his 11 at the moment, there's a lot of talented, diminutive, kind of lightweight technical footballers. So... It makes sense to me, and maybe that's not been his style to this point. But 
He's clearly stumbled upon something here that's got them really good success. Got good footballers. Matt Grimes, one of the best young players I played with. Jamie Patterson, likewise. Um, he's knitted the kind of midfield and the attack really well last few weeks. And Jamal Lowe coming back to the club has looked like a, a breath of fresh air. So it's a really good run, a really good run, much needed run because um, I felt that that was one that we could be, could have been talking about earlier in the show this week. So thankfully for Michael Duffy, he's going to get an opportunity to show what he can do, probably with bigger resources. Okay, that's the championship wrapped up. A few big storylines that we had to get through. I'll, I'll give you the choice when we get to League One, Sam, in terms of what you noticed this weekend, what really stood out to you from, from the results and performances? Well, I think we've got a table that's taken shape in that, um, similarly to the championship, there's a nice cushion developed for, for Portsmouth and Oxford. And I was asked the question earlier, actually, if these two are going to be there and they're you know, safe bets to be in the, the shake-up for automatic promotion. And my response was, I don't think anyone at those two clubs would be you know, anticipating this not being anything but an incredible battle. Mm. Um, there's going to be teams that come uh, from, from, from lower down the table. And Bolton and Derby were probably the two that were were much fancied but I mean this is an incredible incredible achievement from John Massino at Portsmouth to to still be unbeaten um, what is it over 20 games now this mm. this run Oxford United as well Liam Manning probably hit had to hit for his his aspirations to get to where he wants to be probably had to hit the ground running in this job and I think the resources are pretty good at Oxford United this year but this has been an incredible start uh, for him as well I suppose the Leighton Orient victory um, on the back of what was an incredibly testing week for the club, emotional week, having lost a supporter in, in midweek. To get the victory in the last minute against Reading was quite poetic. Um, bit of a scramble goal from George Monker, but um, I think that you know was a really nice thing to see and I think Leighton Orient have probably not got the points that their performances deserve upper level this year so it's similar kind of problems on the pitch really that there's not really goal scorers to hang your hats on but collectively they're a good side I enjoy watching them and the even spread of goals has kind of continued not that they're free scoring but there's not one person that they're overly reliant on so yeah loads of stories but I thought that was that was particularly nice given the um the, the really tough week they'd had and Cheltenham finally for Cheltenham a goal, not a win, but a goal nonetheless. And a goal, uh, we'll, we'll eventually, hopefully, goals will bring, bring you more wins, all right? But I think against Derby County, maybe they weren't expecting this this week. Um, and, and look, there is another side to this and the pressure that might come on, on Paul Warren um, after th this result. But, you know, for Cheltenham, for Daryl Clark, it's massive. Yeah, and I think you, you do take the opposition into account here. You know more than you you possibly would with with a point at uh, this stage of the season. I think the the players will be buoyant, and that's a horrendous run. I've been in sides where you've gone four or five games without scoring, and the midfield players, and you you can sense that atmosphere on the training ground. Like, are you guys in the forward line going to pull your fingers out? This is <laughs> ridiculous. I've been I've been there, but I mean to go eleven games is just unprecedented. And the one goal they had got in the Football League trophy was an own goal, I think, against Bristol Rovers. So, yeah, really good for Rob Street, a young young forward who's... I, I've kept an eye on him because 
you know, his performances at some other clubs, I think he was at Shrewsbury previously, you know, got some plaudits for his all-round game, never really to this point been a regular goal scorer, but he'll be feeling buoyant. And now they've got two weeks, and now they've got a game in the Football League trophy uh, against Forest Green Rovers, but two weeks to prepare for Cambridge United at home. That's a good game for Daryl Clark to get his, his teeth into. He's spoken about a lack of fitness in the squad, which... Um, Obviously, it's not great news for the Cheltenham players because it sounds like <laughs> going to be doing laps the next couple of weeks. But I'm telling you, the training ground, it, all it is is a point and a goal. But it was against Derby. They've scored. Mm. They'll be bubbly this mm. morning and it's something to build on. And I think Daryl Clark, considering where they are right now, that's a pretty good get, his CV. That's a good get as a manager. Very quickly, any concerns for Warren? 10 points off the top of the table right now? Um... It's not ideal, is it? But, I mean, it's six games unbeaten. Um, it's not a disaster. And my my concern, and I think we're in an age now in every division where you don't necessarily need that 20-25 goal-a-season striker. But I think Derby, with their resources, being in the third tier, should have better forward options. And they obviously lost David McGoldrick last year. And I just think that point could easily be turned into three if they had a little bit more goal threat. And that doesn't have to actually be the striker. I'm thinking on the spot here. But just even more in the midfield positions mm. or or out wide, someone who can chip in more. Still a good calibre of player. Still expect them to to rise up the, the table. But I did find that surprising when I was kind of looking and making my own evaluations of the squad in the summer. And I think that probably came to roost a little bit at the weekend at Cheltenham. Okay, up next we will discuss two sides who are sure about what their future is and it's not who was previously in the dugout in the shape of Neil Harris and Mark Hughes. Bradford and Gillingham making a change. That's next on EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access and Talk Sport 2, and we had the good news. We got to speak about the football for a bit. You know, that was great. I enjoyed it. Sam Parkin, you were, you were unbelievable, my friend. Thanks, you re- mate. That's you, the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. You were. You really do know your stuff when it comes to the game of football. But um, we have to get back to end the programme, just almost how we started it, by talking about managers being sacked. Um, and once again, they're kind of eyebrow raisers. Neil Harris sacked by League Two side Gillingham after a run of three games without a win. They did actually top the table after winning their first four league games. They then had four defeats in seven since then. Uh, The former Millwall and Cardiff City boss Neil Harris had been in charge since the end of January of last year. A statement on the the club's website said they decided to go in a different direction. They would begin a process of identifying a head coach to take the team forward. But maybe it's the lack of goals. You know, in terms of league position, it was kind of confusing. But they'd scored just nine in 11 league games. And it was kind of looking towards, you know, if we don't score more, we don't score more regularly. We're not going to get the automatic promotion that I think the ownership really wants. And and was it that that cost Neil Harris? And was that fair? Well, reading between the lines, I think, yeah, you you probably surmised exactly what's gone on in the, the minds of the owners. But... You, you can't sack someone who's third in the division, who's led you to, to third place in the division, and had an incredible impact, I think, last year, but was very well backed. That's the other side of this. Um, 
but yeah, I think those have got to be the reasons, haven't they? And um, I think before the weekend, I think I'm right in saying nine goals was the was the least in the division. Um, and of course, the defensive record's been been pretty good to this point, better than pretty good, and that's what was getting them the victories. I, th- I think, you know, losing I think three on the bounce away from home now against teams that you had anticipated at least taking points from, the inability to probably come from behind in games because that is something that will get directed towards the management and the coaching team that they're not affecting proceedings from the from from the outside. Mm. So that will be the reasons, but it doesn't matter how you get to the top of the division. There may come a time when you're evolving as a club that you need to make a change. I don't think that was right at this moment. I think Neil Harris showed at Millwall. It's a different job, Millwall, but I would suggest that they were in a division with less resources than a lot of the teams. Um, He's got better resources now at his disposal. He's shown that he likes attacking football previously uh, at um, Mill no one better to work with front players having played alongside him my goodness me one of the the best finisher that I probably played with uh, to be honest so feeling for him really feeling for him because I thought him and David Livermore were really building something there seemed to have the rapport with the with the fans um, but they were gifted a couple of goals to um to bounce back if there was any disappointment amongst the uh, the lads under Keith Millen, the um, the interim manager who knows his stuff, that'll be no problem if he stays in charge for a few games while they recruit someone else. They did they did the business over MK Dons at the yeah. weekend, so there was no hangover. But yeah, obviously feeling for for Neil because I think with the takeover, it's got real potential there, and it had you know real potential for him to get a few more promotions on his CV. He had a connection a little bit uh, when he went into Gillingham and he spoke about raising standards and, mm. um, you know, he, he the, the passion that he has for the job, maybe it comes across as him being sometimes, you know, cold-hearted, but when you hear Keith Millen talking about the players grieving for the departure of Neil Harris, it's clear that internally they wanted to play for him. Um, and, yeah, okay, there was no hangover at the weekend, but, you know, when you've got words like that and... You think about the, the potential impact of him leaving, particularly at this time of the season. You know, it's it's hard to call it the right decision. We don't yeah. know who's going to come in as yet, but um, you know, he he had that connection. He had that connection and yeah, rapport and that you can't replace easily. It's funny how the the goalposts move so so quickly, I suppose, because last year the remit had to be stop shipping goals, you know, and make us harder to beat and he did that and he had the opportunity of bringing in Tom Nichols another former teammate of mine who far too good to be in the the lower echelons of League 2 the time he signed last year and Ollie Hawkins them in tandem got them out of trouble straight away I I think it's the the most wins isn't it in the calendar year maybe second to Stockport something uh, of that ilk so you know, this has not just been this season. The tail end of last season, they were incredibly consistent. So it doesn't add up. It doesn't feel like the right time. Again, if Gillingham were to be promoted, then maybe they'd make a change at some stage. But I, I, I didn't feel that was just at the moment.
Mark Hughes sacked at Bradford as well. Uh, he guided them to the playoffs last season, but only won three of the 11 games since the start of this season. Uh, the CEO, Ryan Sparks, says, after 11 games, we find ourselves a long way away from where we expect to be. Uh, Kevin McDonald named his interim uh, player manager. They won on Saturday in his first game in charge, beating Swindon by a goal to nil. Um, I remember Mark Hughes saying when he came into the role at Bradford City that it was almost like last chance saloon for him that if he failed in this job that might might just be it how do you look back on his time in charge at Valley Parade um, I think initially I'm really surprised that he was going in there not to diminish the size of the club or what it could potentially become again because I'm very aware of that having played there um, you know incredibly well supported great stadium um, but still surprised that that Mark Hughes would go into uh, League Two. Um, I thought that they actually had a style uh, quite easy on the eye playing style. They they certainly played more more possession football than I anticipated. Possibly um, whether that was to his detriment. Now that it hasn't worked out, you you could probably argue that fact. I I spoke about this at this earlier, and I I watched their playoff games uh, against Carlisle and I can almost trace the start of the decline back to that second leg when there was an opportunity to really go at Carlisle they were under pressure Bradford were turning the screw and he just made a couple of very very strange alterations and substitution and kind of let them off the hook and I think because of that it gets highlighted because it's the, the, the playoffs the fans took that into this new season and he had to start really fast, and they probably had to be in that top six and some at this stage of the season, otherwise he was going to come under scrutiny. And I think when you look at the the most recent of results, because of the the fans, the stadium, the, the size in essence of the club in League Two, you draw at home to Grimsby, Harrogate, you lose at home to Walsall in three successive home games at Valley Parade. I don't think you can probably survive that in the in the bottom tier and and that's what's happened so it sounds and looks like there's going to be some really big names that fancy that that gig and I think it's probably a plan off the pitch as well though Hugh you know I think and maybe they had that to a degree here but I think it's it's a club that if I can say it feels like there's been a lot of decay going on decaying sorry going on over the last few years so the plan has to be um, united if you like from playing level up to boardroom level if they can get that right so the recruiting and also the manager a bit of a plan on the pitch if they can marry all that together it's, it could be incredible what they could achieve there and some of the names being banded around it should be an exciting appointment and I hope it works out because it it's not a club we should continually be talking about in the in the bottom division Okay, Sam, been a pleasure to be with you for the last hour or so. If you miss any of the shows, you can listen back on the TalkSport app. We're also available as a podcast, which you can download from wherever you get your podcast from. Just search EFL All Access.